Blog Talk Radio. For sustained humanity, human beings, human love, on a spiritual tip, so vast, so great, the African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin to where you belong. Nigga, you send a gun, but we're looking to go to Africa. 
time to take it down. For the time to say, oh, it's all about that girl. So don't you know what I'm gonna do? you like always you join in by dialing 323-679-0841 for your views and perspective at this point in time you know like the way you know the way like we like the way we do it we will get started with our party by introducing to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program we step first and start with Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Haki Kamaki Mishoki. Colonel with African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. But before we can ha- engage in serious discussion around institution building, one of the things that we talk a great deal about, you know, uh, not necessarily providing the kind of clarity that we need, is the whole question around recession. So I thought it's important that we deal with some of the so many intimate factors, some of those things that I never discussed with respect to a recession and why it exists in the first place. So I think this would I think most people will find this informative because I think it's you know because I think that you know, once people begin to understand the mechanics behind recession, then they get a, a better sense in terms of why capitalism does what it does. 
uh, in terms of the vast inequality that exists in respect to capitalism. Maybe even Brother Africa, check this out. Every seven to ten years, the U.S. economy goes into recession. This recession often follows periods of strong economic growth. Now, defining strong economic growth often entails measuring the increase in wealth for the wealthy, while disregarding increases in poverty via low wages, unemployment, and homelessness. Defining economic strength is also compounded by the inability to identify recession. Recession defined as decline of business activity, leading to decline of economic activity, specifically consumer spending, is interpreted differently by different people. Dutch, Dutch bank position is recession is inevitable given the Federal Reserve's attempt to prevent further decline of the economy by raising interest rates, which 48% of U.S. investors agree. While Goldman Sachs Investment Bank disagrees with this analysis, stating, quote, recession is not likely because consumers and banks are flush with cash, end quote. Ironically, this sentiment is, it is, a, is at odds with the economic data that suggests flush with cash is brazenly false. According to the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, incomes among workers increased only one-tenth one of 1% or essentially flat. Consequently, as Kiyosaki book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, points out, 40% of Americans don't have $1,000 in savings for emergencies, highly in endorsement of consumers flush with cash. The situation confronting banks is equally dismal. According to the CNN Business Report, all U.S. biggest banks in 2022 saw profit, profits decline after, this is after the economic boom during the pandemic. Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Citibank, and Chase saw profits fall 42%. Citibank saw 46% decline in profits. Now, the bank's decline does have ramifications for the health of the overall economy. The Federal Reserve System depends on banks to increase, increase the level of money flowing through the system for both commercial use and investments. Utilizing federal funds rates or the interest rates of banks charge one another for loans or discount rate, or the rate in which uh, banks, uh, the Federal Reserve charge uh, for banks to, to borrow, and open market operations or the purchase of banks, securities, and stocks to increase or decrease the amount of money banks have for loans and investments, the Federal Reserve can shape interest rates for the economy. Low interest rates for an economy in need of liquidity to grow and high interest rates for an economy in danger of overheating or stagnating, or in other words, collapse. What happens when banks' ill health prevents it from performing its mission? Now, obviously, the poor economic standing of the banks is attributable to the banks not, not being flush with money. And because it lacks vitality, capital decline of the U.S. economy is inevitable, and Federal Reserve policy can, can do little to stop that. Now, recession, unlike previous recession, recessionary eras, will, will be much sharper. Facilitated by U.S. sanctions on countries like Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Ethiopia, China, and lately Russia, will have a, a debilitating impact on the U.S. economy. Coupled with the dollar's reserve status under tax from Russia, China, and Iran, recessionary pressures will only intensify. Now, factors contributing to recession are many. Leading and lagging economic indicators point out the problems of an inefficient system, but they do not point out the systematic inequalities that make recession an intimate part of capitalism. Money is normally available to stimulate the economy wind up in the pockets of kleptocrats, whose pension for stealing is, is as normal as you and I taking in oxygen. Chief among these scoundrels is a professional class of thieves called CEOs, or chief, op chief operating officers. 
Here the corporations, the level of graft they employ has been astounding. Now, despite corporate profits of seven years high, prices still continue to rise. Over the last 40, 40 years, wages have been flat, and the beneficiary of declining wages have been these CEOs. Currently, CEOs are compensated at a ratio of 350 times greater than compared to workers. No doubt, this unjustifiable compensation result emerges in part whereby corporations use profits to, to acquire other businesses, which increases their stock value for the benefit of CEOs and their shareholders. In addition, stock buybacks are con- contribute to the questionable compensation for CEOs, even though corporate profits have been attainable, attributable to government largesse, not in production and sales, not in production and sales of products. This begs the question, if unjust compensation for CEOs can be justified by, com- by capitalism, how would the existence of over 600 zombie corp- corporations, zombie corporations or corporations not able to pay interest on their, on their debt be justified? Now, taking the form of stock buybacks, CEOs have amassed, amassed on average, $30.3 million compensation with 40% coming from stock options. Stock buybacks is, fin- is a financial strategy where CEOs buy back their own stocks, creating the perception stocks are selling, causing the value of the stocks to rise. Value of these stocks do not reflect any economic activity or cost of labor to produce a product. Instead, the value of these stocks are mathematically calculated by computer without regard for ethics or economic health to the society. Who pays for, the, who pays for this money created out of thin air? The answer is the poor. The poor compensate the wealthy by enduring low wages, unemployment, excessive taxes, and inflation. Make no mistake, these lagging economic indicators do not come close to revealing the level of corruption involved. History has shown during recessionary periods the number of corporate buybacks decreases, only to increase exponentially at the end of the recession. Buybacks accounted for $365 billion between 2006 and 2009, by 2015, they represented $847 billion. By 2022, officially the end of the pandemic, buybacks account for $1.4 trillion. Ironically, often profits, profits from buybacks exceed the amount of the, of the company's profits. In the case of Hewlett Packard, headed by Carly Federino, the level of buybacks amounted to $14 billion, while Hewlett Packard only earned $12 billion in profit. In fact, this practice is a standard procedure where 54% of all buyback earnings are relegated to the top 20 corporations in terms of earnings. The more immediate question, aside from morality, is economically, how can this practice exist when it contributes to the economic roles of society in terms of unemployment, inflation, and poverty-level wages leading to recession? This kind of self-inflicted economic malaise is evident to those who seek reality. The Bureau of Labor Statistics just released a report on a cent- Consumer Price Index. Now, the Consumer Price Index, the CPI, which measures prices of goods and services, concluded the CPI stands at 8.5%, the fastest rise since 1981. This means the ability of the overwhelming U.S. population to find it difficult, increasingly difficult to obtain food, to obtain food housing, and jobs. In the case of the in the case of alleged New York City subway shooter, the stress is palpable. Any person finding death preferable to a life of distress should, should concern everyone. When capitalism facilitates conditions that create the hell on earth, no one should be surprised when people behave like devils. Now, this recession we are currently experiencing will probably mutate into a severe depression. When this happens, incidents of police killing people, especially the poor people, 
or long lines to the food pantry or increase homicide rate as poor people kill each other out of frustration should not surprise anyone. In an economic system that puts profits before life, can anyone truly be alarmed by recession as a catalyst for inequality and creating destruction of smaller businesses, the corresponding destruction of human life? And Brother Africa, I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him also to Africa Removal. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thank you for having me, Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we have Brother Moses. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I think women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I support the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And it's the struggle is to, is to maintain truth over falsehood, to maintain a revolutionary narrative over a reactionary narrative. And I thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Father Brother Moses, we have Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa on the moon. Welcome. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and our listening audience. Thank you so much for allowing me to join you this evening. Um, Today is uh, uh, a holy day for many people. All right. This is Africa and Move. Today's date is August 17, 2022. We're all going to be in the seat today, and we're all going to take the heat, because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We're going to take a quick revolutionary break, and when we come back, we're going to have a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. Again, you can participate by calling in 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move.
transition to this first segment of the program, which is 
what's going on in your world and the community. That's right. We want to know what's going on in your world and the community. Again, you can call 323-679-0841 and express your views and your thoughts on what's going on in your world. So right now, we get started with our party. We can go to Brother Haki first and ask him to give us a synopsis of what's going on in his world and community. Brother Haki? Yeah, Brother Africa, that was an interesting story on a um, a uh, African uh, an African uh, uh, history uh, teacher in high school on Newport News who plans to sue a white student for leaving uh, bananas in his doorway uh, for like four consecutive months. Uh, now, it, the surveillance revealed, uh, you know, that the alleged culprit, of course, was a former student of the of the particular teacher in 10th grade, it, 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 it revealed that, in fact, he was the culprit in terms of leaving those bananas. And, of course, the implications being that somehow that uh, Africans are closer closer to apes. And so the teacher position was that in order to put a stop to this kind of behavior, uh, one of the things he, 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 he's in the, in the process of doing is to sue the student um, civilly. But the problem is that, you know, I have uh, like three problems in terms of that particular approach or that particular strategy in terms of confronting um, uh, racism, you know, among young white, young white, young white, young white people. Uh, one of the things I think, first and foremost, Brother Africa, is that um, racism is a function of ignorance. And I'm not sure, you know, suing students were in the ignorance. In fact, uh, more, more than likely, it was sort of compound ignorance. So I think that just from a, from a pragmatic point of view, I think it's important that this kind of ignorance, first and foremost, be confronted in terms of, you know, if not, um, you know, uh, individually you know, from the teacher perspective, certainly from the administration in that, at that school. Uh, also, uh, secondly, I think that one of the things that when we talk about court, in court intervention, it's more likely to hide this racist, racist disposition because one of the things it does it re- inadvertently, it reinforces the notion that the uh, rights for Africans exceed the rights of whites. In other words, this notion that, um, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm by my, you know, the white you find themselves in court something as silly as leaving bananas, you know, um, in, the, in the classroom, uh, sort of speaks to, in a distorted kind of way, sort of alludes to the fact that, or, or, or gives, gives credence to the fact, you know, that Africans have more rights than white people, because after all, something as silly as putting bananas, you know, in the, in the classroom should not result in, the, in, the, in, the, in going to court. And so I think in, in terms of in the racist mindset, I think it's clearly to, to, to certainly uh, reinforce this notion that, in fact, that the African rights are being, uh, are being dominant and while white rights are being subverted. So I think that's a second problem that you have in terms of taking going our way to the courts. And thirdly, I think, Brother Africa, uh, you know, courts, you know, are limited in terms of their ability to address, you know, fundamental rights of free speech. Uh, even when the speech is based upon ignorance, uh, you know, unlike you know, like defamation of character charges, you know, racist free speech enjoys precedent on both the federal and state level. So even though in, in, in on the federal and state level you have uh, statutes which are racist to the core, um, they are fundamentally no different in terms of the kind of the kind of practice in terms of leaving bananas in the classroom. They're both in terms of essence equally racist. So therefore it has a certain amount of legitimacy in terms of in terms of legal discourse. So I don't seem to think that the courts are going to penalize this young man 
any, any, any serious kind of way in terms of his behavior, simply because his freedom of expression uh, 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 aspect in terms of the U.S. Constitution. Well, I think I would like what I would like to see the brother do in terms of addressing the issue in terms of racism among young people is, you know, it's going to be in a conference, you know, with the parents, you know, and it's just to lay out the irrational basis for racism. I think one of the things that if, if you could draw the parents out to get them, you know, to, to, to disclose their views, then you can bring some clarity in terms of why racism is just so absurd. Uh, but I think uh, one of the things that's important that if a kid is sitting there and, and the parents are subject to cross-examination, so to speak, in terms of their views, then the kid can come to the realization that what he's been told or he's been conditioned to believe uh, may not have an legitimacy at all and in that context. It's more likely to have a somewhat, somewhat um, much more um, uh, a visible uh, impact on the way that young white youth sees the world. If in fact, if it's, if, it's, if if in fact you can demonstrate, you know, to him with his parents sitting there, that a lot of views that he holds are simply, you know, problematic, uh, you know, uh, in terms of in terms of him, you know, in terms of his human development. And uh, and finally, brother, after also, I think you know one of the things I think I would like the brother. You have perceived it was a whole you know peer to peer discussion around racism. I think one of the things you have youth of color to confront this young man around the question in terms of race. I think the youth will have a much more uh, a much more uh, uh, much more direct um, uh, impact in terms of their presentation, in terms of in terms of their own struggles you know with racism in society. I think it's more likely to have an impact on this young man you know if the fact it come from his peers as opposed to coming from adults. So I would like to have seen uh, the teacher to, you know, proceed along those avenues in terms of trying to address this issue of racism, because one of the things I think that we, we have to at some point come to agree, uh, come to conclude, you know, that racism, in fact, is, 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 is a function of ignorance. Uh, the bottom line is that if, if for whatever reason people are comfortable with the ignorance or if their own self-esteem won't allow them to, 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 to uh, deal with the fact that the ignorance is very much uh, pervasive in terms of you know the way they think. Then one thing is clear: you're not going to you're not going to just persuade them to change their views, you know, simply you know by taking them taking them to court. So I, in any event, so I could, it's, it's a very interesting strategy that brother employed in terms of trying to do this question of racism. And my my I'm just interested in what the what the school's response is going to be uh, to this to this African teacher. In terms of you know taking that student to court, I, I, my my guess is that uh, because he did that, it's probably going to be somewhat uh, for that teacher somewhat problematic. My guess is that you know uh, you know that they're going to let him know their discontent in terms of the decision of bringing that young man to court uh, because the racism is so so rampant, uh, uh, particularly in a place like Virginia, and particularly in the more rural parts of Virginia, uh, where racism is just a fact of life. So anyway, Brother Africa, I'll close with that. All right. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next we go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Uh, several things. Um, um, Venezuelan uh, diplomat Alex Saab is in uh, Miami prison. Uh, uh, you know, being uh, persecuted for, uh, you know, carrying out diplomatic functions uh, related uh, to Venezuela and uh, its relationship with Iran. Uh, 
uh, originally Alex Saab was on a mission uh, to go from uh, to go to Iran to try to get uh, aid for Venezuela, and uh, and when his plane, uh, you know, stopped in Cape Verde to refuel, he was arrested by uh, the U.S. government, and is currently being held in a Miami prison. Uh, awaiting trial, and uh, his uh, legal team is contesting the extraterritorial nature of his arrest and a violation of uh, his uh, uh, diplomatic rights, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, you know, unprecedented uh, for a person carrying out, uh, you know, diplomatic functions for a sovereign country, which Venezuela is. And uh, let's see, and uh, there have been protests uh, lodged against the U.S. government for doing this. Also, there was a shooting uh in a in a New York subway line uh by an african um out of uh philadelphia i believe um and uh this took place about a week and a half ago in which they were uh that the, there were ten people shot in a in, you know at a subway station. And I think this uh, speaks to several different issues uh, inside the U.S. One is that uh, uh, the mental health of human beings isn't taken as seriously as it should. Uh, And at another level, uh, firearms are way too easy to get in this society and uh you know and also i think uh you know and i think the uh one of the underlying impacts of the uh covid 19 pandemic has been a deterioration in uh some people's uh mental health because of being confined you know, when uh, in a uh, close basis for long periods of time, and also the uh, you know not and people not having other health issues, uh, health needs met, other than the uh, tr- treatment for the COVID nineteen pandemic. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Uh, it's really been, I've sitting here thinking and thinking and thinking, and I look through my emails, et cetera. Uh, uh, nothing stands out extraordinary. Uh, the Democrats have been mailing me, trying to get money, uh, claiming that the, the, you know, they're... Uh, 
need to get control of the, of the Congress again. And so, you know, they they just want money, 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 uh, as if that's the solution to their problem. Uh, meanwhile, uh, let's see, the um, the Ukraine have have uh, have been fighting, uh, and there's a, 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 a strategic. Uh, battle being fought just over this period of time uh, for Mariposa, I believe it's called, uh, which would connect the the Russian uh, with their uh, all their areas would be connected uh, as, as from Crimea, and they, they wouldn't have to go by sea to Crimea. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's been a, a uh, I don't think it's been an extraordinary uh, week. Uh, there's always something going on, but nothing stands out. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. So, Salinor, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, I'm... Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Hey, Salinor, you sound like you're talking out of distance and they're on speakerphone. Can you come closer and get off your speakerphone, please, so you come through clearly? Thank you. Sister Eleanor, are you down? Yes. All right, go. That's better. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Brother Africa, um, um, my apologies. I um, think Derek Palmer in... Uh, New York really needs to be acknowledged, the fact that him and a co-worker, you know, formed a, a union at Amazon. Now, where that goes and whether or not they're able to negotiate with the company uh, is yet to be seen. But the reality is is that uh, he was successful in pulling together a, a union and uh, – he was well received uh, in Washington D.C., uh, where he's meeting with more experienced labor leaders, and he is really being held as a, a, a leader for labor. And his friend uh, Christian Smalls, these two African American men, have successfully organized a union uh, at Amazon in in New York. In New York City, so I think right, that's a very you. exciting thing. A very exciting thing. In addition, of course, we have the Ukrainian war seeming to uh, is now in full-fledged war, and we see NATO being uh, expanding and creating a greater conflict. Um, it is definitely a time to come together for peace. And negotiation, uh, we hope to see that coming. Meanwhile, uh, Saudi Arabia continues to uh, slaughter uh, the people of Yemen. We saw that Israel killed 25 people, including a mother of six, in the last several days, in the last two weeks uh, approximately. And uh, conflict uh 
is uh, abundant right now. And we see that there seems to be a movement towards authoritarianism as we look at the upcoming election in France. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Paris, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, mm-hmm. we will continue discussing this discussion mm-hmm. on what's going on in your world and the community. This is Africa on the move. We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. <laughs>
from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from
what do y'all make of this continued escalation of this, this behavior? I've been told that there are legislations in various states where they will make it illegal to video any police. If you video them, you have committed a crime. What's the implication of that, and why would they come up with such a law? So, panelists, I'd like to hear your views on that, starting with you first, Haki. Yeah, I think you're referring to uh, Patrick Yoya, uh, the brother out of the That's Congo. correct. Yeah, that's yeah. out of Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's where they killed him at. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, I, I viewed that video many, many times, and according to this cop, justification for shooting him in the back of the head was that he had his had his uh, laser uh, in his possession. But when I looked at the at the uh, the tape on numerous occasions, the problem is that after he after he shot him, uh, when when he, when he got over top of uh, Patrick Yoya. Uh, there was no indication that Rioli was holding his taser. I mean, there was no uh, indication that, you know, he had to take it out of his hand, he had to, you know, remove it from his hand, the statue from his hand or whatever. Uh, his hands were free to simply use them to balance himself to get up. So this notion that, in fact, that, uh, that the justification was that he had his, his, his taser was so, seems somewhat uh, disingenuous. Uh, and that's also what the, what the, uh, the, uh, the, the guy who was on the scene who was with Yoya uh, uh, Yo-Ya at the time, also testified to that extent. So clearly, Brother Africa, uh, this, 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 this propensity in terms of, of killing people is simply because they can get away with it. It's something that, uh, you know, is, 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 is most uh, broad and um, systemic. And so this notion that somehow that you can train cops to stop killing innocent people uh, seems to me seems to be, um, seems to me to be, um, uh, um, it, uh, seems, seems to me to be lacking in foundation because the problem to me doesn't seem to be one of training. It seems to be a, a, a almost a, um, a, 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 a useful wheel in terms of using violence for the express purpose in terms of actually you know killing people, specifically African people and or poor people. Uh, so clearly this is problematic. And then when you talk about the fact that these, these states around like Oklahoma and Texas are talking about if you film the cops uh, engaging in criminal activity that you yourself are charged with a criminal act. Uh, it speaks to the kind of repression or the kind of sweeping fascism that is taking place in society. I think one of the things is that when you look in terms of, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the propensity for cops to, to, to kill people, you got to understand that it doesn't exist in a vacuum. You know, often it goes hand in hand in terms of the economic conditions that currently exist. One of the things that this society continues to unravel, uh, particularly the economy, we got to understand one thing that whether we understand or not, that poor people, people of color, uh, represent an existential threat to the system. And so, therefore, people in positions of power have no problem whatsoever, uh, you know, uh, when police kill people, or kill poor people or people of color. And so, therefore, it seems to me that's a problem that uh, the community itself has to take upon, and I'm particularly proud in terms of response from the community there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in terms of you know, their response, you know, to the killing of his young brother. Because the whole thing, that, you know, in talking to his parents, you know, who come from the Congo, they were under a false perception that when you come to America, there's nothing but peace and love, and everybody get along together, there's no problem whatsoever. Of course, that's, that you, you can attribute that to the power of propaganda in terms of these, these the only certain kind of message that actually gets to the continent. And so a lot of times brothers and sisters believe the stuff they say on television, in fact, representative of the truth. 
So they had believed that they could never envision that those people who are entitled or those people who are uh, supposedly here to protect you know, the, the citizenry, uh, the people actually killed the citizenry. So they were somewhat shocked to find out that this happens you know, uh, in America. Uh, but clearly, Brother Africa, I think it is problematic, and I think one of the things we cannot no longer pretend you know, like, you know, like everything is okay and understand the implication for all our lives because to the extent that cops are empowered to do what they do, then they're empowered to simply kill people you know, out of convenience simply because maybe something like a bad day, something like they don't like the way you walk, the way you look, <laughs> or they don't like the way you responded to them or whatever reason. Uh, as long as these killings are justifiable, then certainly we can anticipate more of these executions. And I think all of us, uh, irrespective of our politics, have to be very, very concerned in terms of the propensity among, among police. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Nick, we go with Brother Anthony. What's your take on that scenario, Brother Anthony? Yes. Um <clears throat> Actually, it's symptomatic of a problem that has existed for decades in the U.S. And unfortunately, uh, this brother's family was not aware of that. And uh, and uh, you know, and uh, and you know, and the thing about it, though, um, you know, if they had been aware of the level of rape. And and often Africans that come from other, from outside the U.S. of either from the continent or other parts of the diaspora, aren't aware of the level of racism that pervades the society. And uh, when something like this happens, it's uh, you know they're caught off guard. And I think it's it's symptomatic, and also the efforts to pass legislation to uh, to disallow or penalize people for videotaping cop policemen, uh, you know, takes away uh, one of the uh, uh, you know the ability of people to hold police accountable for their actions. And uh, this is a dangerous situation, and it's and uh, and and it makes a dangerous situation even worse. For example, we might not have, uh, if it wasn't for the sister that videotaped uh, George Floyd's murder, a lot of uh, most of us would not have known the truth about what happened. And, uh, you know, and it's still going on, uh, you know, even though it's uh, uh, been a couple of years since this murder, is still happening throughout the U.S. So I think, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, people f- should fight against that kind of legislation because it deprives people of the ability to hold police accountable for their actions. And uh, the police have too much power in this society as it is. And I think that's because their role is to protect the property of the ruling class. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we're going to ask Brother Moses to weigh in on the situation. Brother Moses? Yeah, this is an unfortunate situation. Uh, uh, 
this brother was killed. I mean, he was assassinated. I mean, murdered. Um, no question in my mind. Uh, this this police, um, it's just white power, basically. Uh, the, the frustration of struggle and then the conclusion that you're just going to just take his life. Um, it's not even worth bothering with. Uh, uh, he ha- it doesn't matter that much. And so we see black lives are, are in jeopardy here in the U.S. of A. And um, they had the people from the Congo are learning that lesson. Uh, I, I think, you know, Hmm. But hmm. he come with body shit. Huh? Go ahead, brother. Go ahead, brother. Finish your thought. He, he, he definitely, he definitely shouldn't have died. If uh, for, I mean, it's just a traffic stop and then uh, death. Um, there's something wrong. There's something fundamental. We need, we need a whole new system. Uh, this thing is, is corrupt to the core, and uh, we need a revolution. This is as simple as that. Uh, we need a whole new value structure in place. People who care about people in charge of of uh, that policing activity or whatever. Uh, um, it's a lot easier said than done, but 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 it's a it's a problem of the system. It's definitely. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we ain't on we ain't on this issue. Sister Eleanor, where are you at? Sister Eleanor. Well, uh I think all the federal fellow panelists have said it all. This was another assassination and we're seeing um states beginning to push legislation that would further restrict public demonstration that would allow more incidents like the Kyle Rittenhouse situation to occur. And uh, there's a a movement, a fascist movement that's happening uh, throughout the United States. So this is where the federal government, the, the Congress has to step in and pass radical legislation. But whether or not that's going to happen uh, doesn't seem so because recently, as we know, President Biden uh, increased the Defense Department budget and that of the police. So we are moving towards militarizing the police while we are continuing to assassinate black people in this United States, African people in this United States. And uh, uh, it is outrageous. And Brother Anthony is correct that if the sister had not recorded the George Floyd assassination, it would just be another mystery. It would just be someone doing something outrageous. And these traffic stops and these incidents that occur in the public, the the it, it's reminiscent of uh, the, a series of uh, assassinations and killings that were occurring in convenience markets in in the 90s in the 20th century when uh, 
uh, African Americans or black people were just being shot over allegedly stealing uh, sodas or just for being there. And uh, we need to see radical federal legislation that stops what's happening. The voter suppression laws, the elimination of women's rights, but this whole, now the whole move to restrict uh, individuals' rights to demonstrate, restrict individuals' rights to, to film uh, and document what's happening in their community to become a criminal action is outrageous. We even see uh, legislation, Brother Africa, that's passing that would help foster what happened in Charlottesville with automobiles, where, where people will be able to use their automobiles as weapons against uh, civil disobedience. But as far as this, this man, this situation, it just appeared to be uh, a murder. I, I, this is an unarmed person. If he had a taser, shoot him in the arm. I mean, why shoot at all? We need to disarm the police in most uh, municipal situations. Why are they so heavily armed and so poorly trained? Thank you, Sister Eleanor. What we're going to do right now, we're going to ask everyone to address this question here. And when you address this question, see if you can get a solution to it. The question is, there seems to be a sentiment that all these students may have a relationship to in individuals who have been related with or a part of the so-called terrorist group or the Ku Klux Klan, and they decided tactically if they want to kill African people it'd be much more easily to do this under the government authority and use rules and authorities to do that. Even the FBI has reported that they have been aware of a large number of these type of groups that have penetrated the so-called legal enforcement. So now you're seeing the legal enforcement acting like as if they were. In reality, they are the two black claim. So how do we address that, Brother Haki? How do we address if that's the reality? Africa, uh, brother Africa, that's a very intricate question that you raise. And the question is, how do you how do you address it? Uh, it probably the only way you can reasonably address it, and I say reasonably because it's going to it's going to depend to a large extent on people's understanding in terms of how society is organized, in terms of coming together together to, to fight against uh, obviously a systematic wrong. Uh, but certainly, you know, one of the things that we, when, you, when you talk about is the Princeton terms of these police officers, uh, you know, to uh, to join, you know, uh, you know, the, the military in police in, in police agencies. Uh, of course, it's been long known as a, you know, that's been a long strategy of the right in terms of ensuring these people are in positions of authority. Uh, because they realize that you know uh, they're 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 strategically located in terms of being in a position to actually carry out you know uh, the the assassination of people from a legal from a legal point of view, 
is in that context, they're very, very important in terms of the right-wing movement and the fascist movement that are taking place in America. So clearly, they have infiltrated, according to FBI officials, they have adequately infiltrated, you know, these, these police agencies. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things uh, we we can't, we have no say-so in terms of the, the police department policy. Often these, these, these police officers intentionally look for individuals with that kind of authoritarian mindset because the, the thing is people with authoritarian mindsets have a tendency, uh, you know, to give much deference, uh, pay much attention and much much love to those positions of power. So people in positions of power tell them to kill, they would do it. They wouldn't question anything at all. And so what, they, so what police departments want is those kind of individuals who have their authoritarian uh, personality uh, mindset, uh, which makes them predisposed to do whatever power tells them to do. And so in, in, in if you couple that with the fact that we talk about this racial, racial proclivity in terms of, you know, how they see the world, uh, of course, it's very easy for a police officer to buy the notion that, in fact, that uh, white people are under attack based upon any number of privileges or, 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 um, or disingenuous claims, you know, uh, by, you know, right-wing media sources who job is, you know, to propagate, you know, these right-wing forces, you know, to take a stand and uh, to fight, quote-unquote, America's enemies. Uh, but clearly, I think, Brother Africa, you know, we have to, as, as, as a community, you know, we have to understand the nature of the beast, and without organization, that's the way reasonably to, con- to uh, com- confront uh, this kind of this kind of uh, this kind of uh, situation that's taking place here in America, and uh, you know, so like I said, uh, so like I just said, this one definitely depends on people's uh, level of of, of awareness uh, uh, in terms of how the society is organized. Uh, but that's the only realistic approach we can take in terms of combating, you know, this kind of this kind of uh, uh, this kind of uh, a broad menace uh, that's taking place in the society. Uh, we don't have the means in which to even. Uh, uh, impact uh, decisions in terms of who becomes police officers, because we don't have those kind of capabilities to make to impact uh, the, the uh, police department's decisions. Uh, we can only deal with the fallout. So it seems to me that one of the things we have to do, we have to have the organization, and we have to be prepared. Uh, you know, uh, not only to understand concretely what the situation is in terms of the sweeping fascism that is taking place in society. But equally, it's important that we understand that uh, at some point we have to make some real decisions in terms of how, just how we're going to deal deal with that. Because one thing is clear: the fascism isn't going anywhere. So whether or not you, you know you're concerned or not concerned, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the bottom line that it's here and it's, and, it's, and it's growing in intensity. So it seems to me the only realistic uh, response is for organized community. That's all we can really do. Thank you, brother Aki. Brother Anthony, your solution. Yes, uh, we have to, we have to get politically organized well enough to be able to uh, put uh, poli- uh, politicians in place that are going to limit the powers of the police, and that takes uh, a much higher level of organization than exists in our community at the present time. But that is the ultimate solution. We have to form our own political organizations uh, in order to get uh, legislatures, legislators in place that are going to uh, pass 
laws to eliminate police powers. That's the only way it, it can be done. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and the thing about it, though, in order for that to happen, we have to have people in place that are accountable to us, not to the ruling bourgeoisie. Otherwise, Thank it's you, going to continue. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Eleanor, give me your solution to this phenomenon. Uh, the phenomenon of the police and the militarization of the police. Well, we saw, Brother Africa, we've seen that with that insurgence on January 6th, where the U.S. Capitol was attacked and the democracy of, quote, democracy of the United States was under attack. We've seen that uh, many of those uh, engaged in that behavior had, were, had, were associated either with the military or with the police. Uh, one of the persons that received a 42-month sentence uh, was working for, I believe, was working for the police, uh, one of the police departments in a venue in F- the state of Virginia. So um, what we see is a growing uh, uh, support of totalitarianism, and we see that uh, the infiltration of the police departments and uh, the military uh, is where these people are going to uh, receive their training as well as to uh, move their agenda forward. And it's a real danger, and uh, we're going to have to uh, look at legislative changes, but also in training in not only not training, but in screening these people, finding tools and methods to screen these people out before they uh, join these departments. But the reality is many people become policemen only because uh, or join the military, for example, because they're poor and it allows them to move forward. People join the police department because of their fascination with weapons and wanting to be able to use them without uh, any penalty. And uh, this is the way we're moving. And as long as we say uh, allow uh, officers to murder people because they feel threatened, the public is at risk. Because we shouldn't have people on the force, any force, uh, police force, in any municipality that are afraid of the people that feel that interacting with a citizen at a traffic stop anywhere feels so threatened that they must murder the person. There's something wrong, Brother Africa. I don't know the immediate solution. Uh, Brother Moses talked about a revolution. Brother Anthony talked about organizing. But I see this problem as going to be greater now because Brother Ike talked about the inflation rate. It's the worst we've seen in 40 years. So we're at a uh, 
critical point in in our in in our domestic struggles and with the 39 states having passed voter suppression legislation uh right now it looks like this is going to be very difficult to fight that's why federal action is the it's what's needed Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we're coming to Brother Moses. Do you have any thoughts on this, Brother Moses? Uh, Brother Moses, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, I think you know that uh, the militarization of the police and the 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 in Inhumane and uh, insensitive uh, structure of the police department in terms of their training and their and their outlook on, as, as demonstrated by their behavior is that we we can't, we can't rely on them. we can't rely on on the status quo it's just it's just impossible um, if you keep doing the same thing you keep getting the same results and and uh, and we have to get people um involved in in the streets and and uh we have to change this this system we have it's, it's gonna take work, but that's the only the only way it's gonna be done. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you thank you brother Moses. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. Uh, it's under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We come on every weekly from 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you like to be a guest or have some views you'd like to share, please email us at African on the move the number two at gmail.com, and we will respond back to you. We will make or take a, a rumption break, and when we come back, we transition to our theme tonight which is the building of wealth as to your oppression. That's right. That's what wealth does. When you see all this accumulation of wealth and one person becoming wealthy, what you don't see on the other side, the extent how other people's lives become even worse. We've had that discussion through various articles that we selected to look at, look at for this particular program as well as we'd like for you joining in with us. So when we return, that's going to be our discussion. Remember, this is Africa on the Moon. Digging out the pearl, in a Milan. Dig out the 
Right there. 
We have some technical issues on our board, so we're doing the best we can, like always, 
where there are oppression, there'll be resistance. Uh, the enemy exists uh, in different forms, and they choose different means. So we have some technical difficulties. Please um, uh, forgive us for these issues. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to transition to the discussion on the theme today, the building of wealth add to your oppression. Um, you look at some videos that raise some interesting issues as it relates to the whole issue of wealth building and oppression. So right now what we're going to do is ask our families to view the first video where we talk about the myth of China creating bad debt, creating debt intentionally, and keep Africa is for indebtedness. And this is something definitely the West has done since they've been in Africa, their first arrival. So this particular um, document raised some interesting um, perspectives on this issue, and we'd like to ask our panelists uh, what do they think about that particular documentary. We start off with Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your take on this documentary. And now Virgil was that this question of doing business in Africa with China is not the same as doing business historically with Africa and the West. Your response, Brother Hackey. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, the the, 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 hist- well, the, the charges from the West are being that uh, uh, China's engaged in similar kind of imperialist practices, and namely creating you know debt debt trap. And the whole idea is that you know you load a country up with debt for the sole purpose in terms of executing you know uh, economic and political control of that society. Peace speaks to the, to to the reality that uh, a lot of this deception in terms of the debt trap trap has more to do in terms of Western propaganda than it has to do, do with reality. Uh, one of the things, when you look at in terms of investments in Africa, when you contrast China versus the U.S., one of the things, or the U.S. or the West, one of the things when you talk about the U.S. and the West, often when you talk about foreign, when you talk about, uh, foreign aid or you talk about uh, assistance, um, it also takes the form in terms of aid or social service spending. Uh, verb, no spending from the West or from the U.S. has been toward infrastructure. And one of the things that Serga Africans have always been very adamant about is that they, 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 they want to com- Africans want to compete in terms of trade. But in order to do that, you have to have infrastructure. But historically, what the West has done is to make sure that infrastructure development um, uh, was not accessible to Africa. In fact, one of the ironies in terms of the history, in terms of investment in infrastructure, is prior to the 1960s, uh, between the 40s and the, the 40s and the 50s. The U.S. used to invest uh, in the West. The U.S. and the West used to invest considerably in African infrastructure. After after uh, the 60s, uh, that practice stopped. Uh, and of course, one of the things the reason why the practice stopped because Western leaders understood that they, in terms of perpetuating imperialism, one thing you couldn't, you, you certainly couldn't afford is to allow Africa to have infrastructure. And so, therefore, they stopped infrastructure uh, um, uh, development in Africa and instead implemented uh, financing in terms of for aid and financing in terms of social services, uh, things which doesn't compare, doesn't allow Africa the ability to actually compete, you know, in terms of commerce. Also, so so when we talk about China's contribution in terms of Africa's ability to, to, to compete, you know, commercially, uh, one of the things is, is the necessity is the infrastructure. And China's been very, very big in terms of, you know, uh, infrastructure building, you know, uh, um, in, in Africa. 
In fact, China has a relationship with over 35 African countries, and we're talking about a tune of $340 billion investments, you know, by the Chinese in terms of African infrastructure. And this, we're talking about ports, railroads, railways, and power plants. And so China is doing something that historically the West uh, at one point did do, but of late uh, have refused to invest any kind of um, infrastructure development in Africa. So this notion that China is somehow predatory is, 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 is in the interest of the West to propagate that misconception because they see themselves in competition in terms of control with Africa. And the only way they can effectively control Africa is to modularize or to negate uh, China's influence on the African continent. Now, that's not to say, Brother Africa, I should point out, and that's not to say uh, that there were some problems in terms of trade when it comes to you know, China and Africa. Uh, one of the things is that historically uh, African states have been very, very leery in terms of African, uh, in terms of Chinese uh, uh, bringing over, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe hundreds, even thousands of, of, of Chinese workers for projects where they can use African labor in terms of carrying out those projects. And certainly one of the things that in talking to Jane Weiwei, who was a scholar and writer, a Chinese scholar and writer, his position was that, uh, yes, the Chinese, the Chinese does do that. Uh, and uh, you know, and so, but, it's, but, it's, but nonetheless, it is something much, very much on the minds of African on, on Chinese leaders because one of the things is that if you get the if you create the perception in the fact that your your whole practice is imperialistic, then it undermines your long term interest in terms of being able to actually invest in Africa in terms of being able you know to make money in terms of those investments and so forth and so on. So clearly, it is a concern of Africa in terms of you know this reception among some African states. The uh, you know that the soft brand of imperialism is being practiced. Uh, also, I think that um, you know um, one of the things when we talk about the loans in terms of you know Chinese investments. Uh, one of the things is that you know uh, the peace talks about there are three different loans, uh, three different types of loans being afforded to African states. Uh, one is zero. In- one is the zero interest loans, and which is offered as aid. And so I think it's important to point out when we talk about this aid that it's, it's not unrealistic that China from time to time does utilize credits just like the West does in terms of, in, you know, investments in Africa because there is corruption. And you do have a situation which, you know, uh, uh, Chinese people are aware that if you give the aid directly to some African state, the reality is that the money is not going to go where it's needed in terms of development, that it goes into the coffers of those corrupt African leaders. In that context, you know, these zero interest loans often take the form of credits for the sole purpose in terms of the China understand the kind of corruption that, that exists in some African states. The second kind of loan was the concessional loans, which are low interest loans, and those low interest loans are used to invest in infrastructure projects throughout Africa. So the whole point here is that because they are low interest loans, uh, uh, the whole point is that they're making these loans accessible you know, to, to African states as opposed to charging them market rates in terms of you know, uh, interest rates, they're actually charging below interest market rate interest uh, in terms of facilitating the, the, these projects. So that speaks to, to China's understanding in terms of why is in China's long-term interest in terms of infrastructure repair, because not only is it good for Africa, but the long run is also good for China. And so therefore China um, is very, very conscious in terms of you know, uh, 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 making uh, loans available you know, to Africa infrastructure projects because it's extremely important. But let me just also point out, Brother Africa, how to pull this out because that's two sides of every, every, two sides of every tale. And it's important we point out that you know, often sometimes these investments are made with the idea that, uh, you know, that 
in terms of projections that they anticipate that X number amount of money will be generated as a result of these projects. Sometimes that, that, that those projections fall short, and which means the Chinese government had to take shortcuts in terms of completion of the infrastructure projects, which gives the impression that uh, the China is doing some shoddy work in terms of infrastructure projects in Africa. When in fact what's happening is that it, it becomes an economic question in terms of not having the kind of funds uh, you need in terms of, or actually underestimating the level or the amount of funds you actually need to carry out these projects. So in the process, you end up with projects which are not as not as stable, not as good as they should be because of the economic calculations weren't there. But it doesn't appear to be a calculated uh, 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 tactic uh, by the Chinese in terms of, you know, lo- uh, you know, uh, creating infrastructure projects in Africa which are shoddy, uh, projects which won't last, or, which won't last over time. But anyway, so I have to point that out. And thirdly, uh, with the commercial loans and lo- these are high interest loans based on the private market, and the whole thing is that uh, these kind of these kind of loans are, are, are competitive. And they are based upon, you know, what would you pay for loans coming from, let's say, the IMF or the World Bank, or or, or the private bond market. Uh, for those who are not clear, the private bond market is uh, often what happens: is investment banks will sell securities or stocks uh, to particular kinds of uh, entities. In particular, they will sell these these securities or these stocks. The governments, the corporations, the billionaires, these kind of stocks, these kind of investments are not open to everybody, only to certain people, because the potential to make so much money. So, so, uh, so, um, one of the things uh, I, I let me just do this and I conclude about Africa. I think that when we when we talk about in terms of these commer- these commercial loans, uh, when we talk about in terms of you know Africa being indebted to China, one of the things that when we talk about indebtedness, uh, the biggest the biggest the biggest Debt Africa incurred is not from China, but it's from the, the private bond market. In other words, these, co- these governments, these corporations, these billionaires, uh, who will only invest in Africa if they can have exorbitant, you know, uh, returns on investment, which contributes to Africa financial difficulties. Uh, so we be very clear: China doesn't appear to be intentionally trying uh, to load up debt on, on into Africa. But of course, I have to add this, and, and, and this is this is important. Uh, you know that you know in terms of you know uh, you know making these loans available. One of the things that we, we we cannot dismiss is that China, like all other countries, also in is, is a uh, in it for the business, and so there is a natural temptation in terms of maximizing profits. And so, therefore, in that context, uh, China is no different than any other uh, any other country in terms of maximizing its profits. And you have individual Chinese businessmen, you know, who are who are, who are working and doing business in Africa. Who don't necessarily uh, agree uh, with the uh, with the with the uh, with, with the strategies uh, um, of, of the uh, of the Central Committee, who may see this as an opportunity to get wealthy, and so that so so in that context, it's incumbent upon African leaders to understand what is in Africa's best interest in terms of you know interest rates, uh, you know uh, you know. Um, uh, 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 is it possible to to get these loans at a, at a rate which is reasonable? Uh, uh, you know, so it's up after leaders to determine that. Uh, you know, so you know, so I don't think uh, we can necessarily we can necessarily expect you know Chinese businessmen you know to be fair in terms of their business dealing with Africa across the board. We have to insist that African leaders understand that uh, they have to advocate for the Africa's interests. And so, therefore, if you have a loan that that you that African leaders perceive as somewhat unfair, 
then you don't you don't accept it. Uh, if you can't meet some agreement in terms of the where where the policies mutually benefit to both Africa and China, the African leaders should reject it. Uh, but I think to the extent that African leaders are willing to stand up and fight for their interests, it's going to determine to the extent in which corrupt, not corrupt, but 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 overzealous Chinese businessmen uh, 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 won't succeed in terms of attempting, you know, to 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 charge after exorbitant interest rates like like the West historically have done. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Aki. We come and talk to us, Brother Anthony. What is your take on the perspective? We're going to bring it down, Brother yes. Anthony. Okay, according to the documentary, uh, the loans, uh, actually, uh, the, uh, the, the amount of uh, uh, debt uh, that Africa goes to China is makes up a small portion of its overall debt picture, especially when you take out Angola. And uh, let's see, it's about uh, three before three to four percent of uh, most of the countries that uh, that China has made loans to. And also, I think uh, Africa would be in a much better position uh, in terms of infrastructure development if it was united. But that's an internal problem that Africa has to resolve. But, uh, you know, but I don't, but but based upon, uh, you know, the percentages Actually, uh, the 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 foreign debt that Africa owes China is uh, makes up a very small percentage of its overall debt. Uh, that was uh, my takeaway from the documentary. Thank you, Anthony. Let's go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor. Well, Brother Africa, I. Uh... I had uh, have not uh, reviewed the uh, documentaries, but I will say this: that Brother Anthony is correct in terms of uh, African nations and the African Union needing to establish common goals because this major infrastructure development overall is going to be good for the individual nations. Uh, in terms of infrastructure, right now we see the need for uh, a pan-African pan highway going through several nations and that sort of thing to open up the roadways and the development of uh, uh, railways uh, is also an important aspect of uh, development in Africa right now that uh, China uh, since it's taken on these monumental uh, infrastructure projects, that if the African Union were to unite and set up collective goals for infrastructure development, it may be more uh, economically feasible for the African nations. Of course, China is encouraging its business community to develop and invest in Africa. 
so therefore, Africa, the African nations, the 54 African nations, need to be organized in order to um, realistically look at these contracts that are being put forth and making sure that they're able to uh, make their payments and that they are um, there's equity there for for African people, and uh, I I I um, I think it's a good thing that China's doing. It's I'm sure, as Brother Haiki said, uh, and Brother Anthony, this is just a minuscule amount of the overall debt on the continent, and I think apparently what they are. Uh, International Monetary Fund and other groups have done have not allowed for the type of development that we are seeing with China's input. So China, just like any nation, and as a growing nation, and as a growing world economy, it needs to be monitored uh, by its uh, uh, the nations that it is investing in, and it needs to be done collectively by uh, economists who are prepared for this range to uh, set the economic goals for the continent, or they will be taken advantage of. It's business, finally. Thank you, Sister Noah. Brother Moses, talk to us. Yes, Brother Moses. Yes, indeed. China is... uh, Practicing proletarian internationalism, hopefully, and uh, they're uh, trying to lift up the the masses of people around the world and and enjoy the fruits of uh, the victory of the socialism over the capitalism and imperialism which dominates the world. And um, you know, this, this China, like the, the percentage of the debt is uh, is is low. I think Angola has the biggest one, and uh, if you take away that, then it's a lot lower. Uh, but um, you know, I encourage people to. There's three. They said there was three categories of loans. I think they said there was the outright, uh, more or less a grant type thing, and then there's the the uh, subsidized loan, I believe, or something, and. Uh, and finally, the commercial loan. And uh, so China, you know, like um, the capitalist voters are in the party, uh, uh, but you know we have to be on vigilance, and uh, the African people have to look out for their own interests and organize themselves and uh, and fight for for their just share of of uh, resources and and. Uh, Return on 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 the resources as China uh, develops their infrastructure, et cetera. So China is doing some good things, I think. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. So let's take this revolutionary break, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion on the building of wealth as to your oppression. The next area discussion we will talk about question called Inside America dealing with Africans who are wealthy. That will be our next discussion coming up. You're listening to 
Africa on the move. Yeah. 
two, Africa on the move. And our theme tonight is the building of wealth as to your oppression. Now, in this documentary, Brother Haki, uh talk about Inside America, where they took three particular families, African families, and talk about how they was able to achieve their wealth. Now, when you talk about how wealth is made in a capitalist society, it only can be made by having a direct relationship to exploiting someone, energy, time, thoughts, labor. So it comes with exploitation. And the more you get from that society, in essence, what you're creating is an increase in oppression. Talk to us about what you took from that documentary as late to the three so-called successful hard-working Africans. So if you don't work hard, again, they, they build an American narrative. You may not survive. Your response, Brother Hakeem. Brother Africa, I think, uh, I, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, even though the piece was designed uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, uh, uh, black folks' achievement in terms of accumulating uh, uh, wealth, uh, the bottom line is, you know, what it takes in terms of accumulated wealth is something else, becomes something else. Uh, the buying system that's employed in terms of the accumulation of wealth in the context of the capitalist system often entail the worst kind of exploitation. Uh, one of the things that Priest talks about is the fact that uh, a lot of the uh, people who made it big, with the exception of one individual, uh, were proud in terms of their roots in the African community. And that, that's good. That's good. Investment in the African community is good. Uh, but the problem is the problem is that uh, you know uh, you know um, the kind of investments that you need in terms of you know having a much a much broader appeal in terms of African community. Uh, no one in, 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 in you know in, in terms of my view of this particular clip uh, you know um, you know summed up the necessity in terms of you know you know you know broad broader investments in African Union to the extent that we're talking about actually the empowerment of African people by utilizing wealth in terms of achieving, achieving that. For instance, uh, one of the things I had like to have heard was someone say, at least, why don't we take some of this wealth and build these kind of institutions in these cities which geared toward the empowerment of African people, particularly African youth. Those kind of those kind of concerns were coming. The only concern was, you know, the accumulation of wealth per se. And so anytime, so in other words, this is this, 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 the, 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 um, the legitimization of a value system, which is, you know, uh, destructive to the aspirations of the African people, was embedded uh, in the minds of a lot of these people you know, who were part of this clip. And I find it somewhat problematic because the whole thing is that, you know, there's really no difference between a, 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 a person who happens to have lighter skin who's an oppressor versus one with darker skin who happens to be an oppressor. So fundamental oppression in terms of the, the capitalist system, and particularly as it manifests itself, uh, toward uh, African people, uh, these particular individuals were, were not particularly conscious of the, or they were conscious of this, of this, of, of this phenomenon, uh, not overly so. Uh, even though they invested some, at least talked about the importance of investing in, in the black community. And so, anyway, brother Africa, but I think your point is, is absolutely correct. But I also think one of the things that you know, this it was it was the uh, the piece was somewhat disingenuous, and I think it's important to point this out. Because I listened to the, the slick piece of propaganda in terms of you know acknowledging you know success of 
you know, these African individuals in terms of being millionaires. Uh, one of the things is that Africans represent the, the second largest group of millionaires in America. Well, actually, is according to the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, is actually um, blacks and Asians represent 8% of all the millionaires in the U.S., with white millionaires representing 7 6% of all millionaires in the United States. But what was particularly problematic about Africa, I think, when we talk about distinction, making a distinction between income and wealth, I think that's, that's extremely important because wealth is those things that you own in addition to money. Well, income is simply mm-hmm. talking about wages. So in that context, what we're talking about, when we talk about wealth in America, then this is where the real divide comes in. When you talk about wealth in America, 85, 86% of all wealth goes to whites, uh, 4% to, 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 to African people. Uh, so clearly, uh, so even if you got uh, some millionaires uh, who, uh, as well as the statistics they give is, is one in 50, even if you got uh, you know some African millionaires in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of income, but when you when you start talking about wealth and you start talking about the accumulation of real power, then clearly uh, these individuals that we're talking about among black people who happen to be millionaires is really inconsequential. It's not to negate their, their accomplishments in terms of achieving anything in a very racist society, but the mere fact that uh, this piece does not does nothing in terms of making a distinction between wealth and income, because that is key. So if we if we think in terms of this, this piece, we're supposed to think in terms of income, then we conclude that African people are doing are doing are doing. You got a you got a large number of African people who are doing very well to the extent that they're millionaires, but that only tells half the story. The reality is, I mean, you talk about wealth, you talk about, you know, the ability to actually influence things, and it's overwhelmingly white. So, and like I say, this, this 4.2% of blacks who, in terms of wealth of attainment in American society, is really inconsequential, statistically speaking. So, so in other words, the, the celebration that this piece wants us to, to, to embrace, when you, when you on close examination, there's nothing really to celebrate about. So 4.2% of, of uh, of the wealth belonging to, to black people in American society is something to really celebrate about. But of course, it's a question in terms of how you look at it. But I just want to point that out. So I'm just I was just somewhat perturbed over the kind of attempt in terms of strict piece of propaganda in terms of you know propagating this notion you know that if you just work hard you know you too can become a millionaire. And I and I just I had a real difficult time with that. And I close with that, brother Africa. Thank you, brother Haki. Talk to me, Anthony. It will take on the documentary. Okay. The documentary was skewed in favor uh in favor of the African bourgeoisie. Which is to be expected. I mean, uh this was told from a capitalist perspective. And uh one of the one of the things uh and I think one of the things that the documentary failed to do was make a distinction between wealth and uh and having a lot of money. Uh having a lot of money is one thing, but wealth involves the control of resources. Uh like land. That's where wealth comes from control of land, either your own or somebody else's. And generally, the Europeans control a lot of other people's land. That's where their wealth comes from. 
the documentary, uh, you know, didn't deal with that that aspect at all. They dealt with well-intentioned, hard-working Africans that through uh, uh, through uh, through networking were able to amass a large income for themselves and their immediate families. And uh, but the thing, uh, uh, but the thing, it fell it fell short on how wealth is acquired, which is through the exploitation of land and other people's work and resources. It did not go into that. And uh, one of the lessons that uh, Malcolm X left us was that to be a capitalist, you have to be a bloodsucker, which is true. Uh, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you, 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 you benefit off of someone else's uh, blood, sweat, and labor. And uh, the documentary did not really go into that. But uh, if you have an, an understanding of... Um, of uh, economics, you could see the bigger picture, but it celebrated, uh, you know, uh, you know, the wealth of these uh, of these uh, uh, of these bourgeois elements, the three families that were portrayed, and they act as a buffer between, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the wealthy bourgeoisie. And the poor African masses, because uh, we're taught in our educational system to aspire to that, and uh, and their and uh, and their job is to uh, is, is to show that possibility. And so I think it was skewed in a way, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. but it, you would have to have an understanding of economics to see that. Thank you, Brother Ashley. Sister Eleanor, is this issue of making wealth on an individual basis, is that the path and goal we should uh, invest our time and labor into that will free our people? What do you take from the documentary? Uh, Brother Africa, I'm not able to address the documentary directly. However, in terms of wealth and working, there is a key point. The difference between, uh, let's look at Manhattan, for example, the island of Manhattan. Well, there are many people that want to live there, and they're very wealthy. So they rent rather than own from those who have the true wealth, the ownership of the land, the land and the structures on the land. So uh, it was a very good point to distinguish the difference between the accumulation of, of just capital and actual ownership and, and vestiture in, in, in the resources of the uh, actual resources. So um, I think working people need to earn money and folks become wealthy. That's great. 
the big issue for me, Brother Africa, is we need to remind everyone who's working for a living that they're a part of the working class and we need to organize to uh, take that, take control of our uh, communities um, by uh, taking control away from the one uh, percent, from the 700 who earned this great deal of money, from the 20,000 that had this second amount of money, and instead think about the hundreds of millions of us that work every day, some doing very well, some barely able to pay for basic things like gasoline and food and housing. So uh, right now the biggest issue for me, Brother Africa, is the inflation rate. And I I am not able to speak to your documentary, so I'll conclude with that. The, the feds need to get this inflation under control. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, your take on this documentary. Yeah, wealth wealth is uh, wealth is you know power and uh, and control of resources and uh, ultimately the the destinies of of the working class. Um, we rent to the, they they rent to them they, and they. Um, Buy and sell homes. Uh, uh, they have factories, businesses. Um, when you when you have wealth, you own these these kind of things, and uh, uh, that's the distinction between saving up money and uh, and uh, actually getting involved in the economy more directly. Uh, it was a good documentary. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. This is Africa on the Moon. What we're going to do is continue the discussion. But let's take a rough station break, and we'll be right back. You have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think Organize the hood under our chain banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I'm taking slugs for the cause like UEP While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live Able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help 
up. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. He just spreading the seed. Yeah, black male. Live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rabbit get shot in they back, then fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I minute, every day of the week, I live in it, breathe in it, it's more than just fucking believing it, I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit, it's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion, niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell, cause the world is controlled by the white male, and the people don't never get justice, and the women don't never get respected, and the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state Get a catch scan. I had chained rap too straight, too tight. We get a backhand. There ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. 20 years for my medicine, but they want to throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. 400 year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We're in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience trumps common sense. Every day, y'all ignore the issues. Look at the victim like it's their fault. As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers in front of the building, minding your business. Who's trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention? Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention. Don't call him king, then treat him like some common folk. You a fighter like Ronda Rose. Drowsy move around the rope. Drowsy with a cloud of smoke. How'd he do for Maui, bro? Traveling around the globe, you didn't know, but now you know. Early morning risings, my inner a long kicking, Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching. I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch. We watch black power docs and study our chakras. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the Sunday out, and we gon' come and check it in, 
fly on out. Oh dear black man, tell me what happened. You can't be low when your clothes everlasting. Him with your aspen, one aspen like a has been. Raising the trap when the gods talk math and moves with a max ten. Not that nigga back then, but look now, nigga, I'm established. Cut camera action. I cut lines with my sad card. My bitch is packing, then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy. They caught him flagging, then huddle around him with a stat chart. Look, you stay awake. Wake up feeling better than I ever been Check out my melanin It's now the makeup for the mannequin That wants to be the same as the slave on the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, court cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent due and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king yeah. Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty Slice buck fifty, both get cut quickly until they free Goldie. Nobody can fuck talk with about me. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out of here, fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page in history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne in them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, black man, they give you whack answers, they robbing you with Batman, they give you Black Panther, when all our people dying, they think that we need a movie, but the box office don't break off the descendants of Huey, think about it, I'm cooler than the Coca-Cola polar bear, hold up, roll up something potent right before we go in there, maroon custom support that shit that touches the streets, puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief, don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got if you ain't got no fucking shots then don't touch the fucking rock lucy still 50 cent cool what kind of blunts you got you can lock a few niggas for hustling but nothing stops the judge just makes a hero and a young black boy lose their fucking pops and go on a robin spree like fuck the ops phone out of battery black mirror word the windex king of the table of contents human index i handle everything myself the one man quintet let's take it where it hasn't been yet dear black man Work life. One take. Fuck you. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa and Move, Dear African. I know you're catching hell. But what organization we can overcome it? Continue to struggle to move forward, but at the end of the road, there is victory. We welcome everyone back again to Africa on the Move. Uh, share with your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, that they too can become part of Africa on the Move family. That email us saying they would like to be a supporter at Africa on the Move 2 
at gmail.com. We want to expand our listening base and expand the nature of this organization so it can encompass, encompass all the Africans throughout the world. Ultimately, that is our overall objective. So let's continue down this road of liberation and share with you some information that may help you do just that. So we're going to come back, and I think we're going to take Brother Haiki. We're going to talk about, when we talk about this old question of the building of wealth as to your oppression, let's look at the role of the credit card, the concept of credit cards, and how that concept has played a tool of manipulating people into debt and continued debt. Now, what did you take from that particular video, Brother Haiki? Well, <clears throat> well, it was interesting that the video talked about the fact, you know, that uh, usury laws, usury laws, uh, laws are uh, used to prevent uh, people from being gouged. Uh, they were do done away with in 1979. So it's very, very interesting when you look at something like Islamic law, they look, they frown upon usury. Um, uh, in other words, usury is in, in effect, in which, in other words, they... You cannot uh, charge people unreasonable fees in terms of you know when you, when they borrow money, and so so the usual laws that at one point existed in the United States were eliminated, and the reason why they were eliminated was in order to to ensure profitability more in, in fact where well, effectively more profitability. Uh, one of the ways you was you could do that was to eliminate usual laws, and so there was no. Uh, Ceiling in terms of how much interest could be charged. You can charge people as much interest as you possibly want. Now, one of the things that the article talked about when they when they asked the guy, you know, um, you know, why the interest on credit cards is so high, he, well, the guy's position was that well, you know, uh, if we charge twelve percent on the credit card, but uh, but the interest rate is twenty percent, then we lose we lose eight percent. We lose every time there's a transaction. So therefore, we have to elevate the interest rate in order to keep to catch up to keep up. Uh, of course, that was an exaggerated example in terms of the kind of greed and avarice, which is so uh, commonplace in terms of the credit card industry. Because the bottom line, if the if the interest if the if the if if the if the interest rate is is twenty percent, but you're charging twelve percent on your credit card, and you want to break even, then you go up additional eight percent, and you bring it up to twenty percent at the very minimum. But the mere fact that you can go up to 20, 25, 30% in terms of interest, uh, according to the terms of the uh, of the fine point when you, when you get these credit cards, speaks to the kind of value, the kind of kind uh, the kind of of the kind of, uh, uh, of, the kind of uh, greed, uh, kind of avarice, which is so much part of the credit card industry. And also, when they talk about the fact that you know, there's 144 million people with credit cards in the U.S. contributing to 1.5 trillion dollars of credit card debt every year. This is very, very interesting, particularly in the context of the economy is in decline. So people end up using these credit cards in terms of paying debt simply because, uh, you know, uh, they don't have any money. And so the credit cards is the only way they can afford prescriptions, uh, pay for medical care, uh, uh, to even buy food in, in, in the so-called wealthiest country on the, world, on the planet. Uh, this is a real irony. So I think it's one of the things that people have to consider. Uh, also, you know, one of the things you know, people often debate about this term that the poor pay more in terms of in terms of services in the society, and it's very interesting because it's ingenious the way the credit card industry came up with these so-called uh, FICA scores, where 1720 is the average score, 850 is the highest score you can obtain, 
if those people making under six rank who, who score is six hundred or less, they're they're considered very very risky. And as a consequence, they're able the the the, 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 the credit card companies feel justified in charging them more interest because they say the risk is higher. It doesn't make any sense to me because the whole thing is that if if in fact if there's a risky uh, if if there's a risky investment and you're going to invest in them anyway, it seems to me that uh, a credit card is comparable to what they're afford, uh, uh, capable of paying. It makes more sense because not only you assure that you get paid, but you don't gouge these individuals in terms of creating conditions where eventually they're going to lose their credit cards anyway. So again, uh, you know, a lot of times these, these economic policies are self-defeating because greed gets in the way in terms of in terms of common sense. Uh, also, one of the things they talked about is universal default, uh, and this is a very interesting concept. Um, now, uh, I, I didn't know that you know for uh, you could be penalized if you default or late on any on any of your accounts. So you have a, a car, let's say, or a house, or a credit card for different companies. Any default on any of those accounts means that credit cards use that as justification to increase increase your interest rates. I think that was very, very extraordinary. But again, it speaks to the kind of you, the kind of avarice, uh, the kind of greed that's so much part of the credit card industry. Also, um, this was the universal default, um, uh, which I talked about earlier, uh, is in fact backed up by the control of the currency. And this I found also extraordinary, Brother Africa, and the the, the control of the currency which is the organization under the Department of Treasury which oversees banks and credit cards. Now, check this out. It has three goals according to the, to the representative of the uh, control of the currency. One is ensure banks don't fail. Two, integrity of the banks. And three, fairness, fairness with public, uh, with public uh, interactions. I thought that's very ironic because if you stop and think about it, if you talk about the finance of the state or the bank takes precedent over fairness, then you got to understand that uh, how if, if 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 the if the objective is the financial awareness of the institution, then if you gouge people in terms of credit card interest rates, it really doesn't matter because what takes precedent is the is the is the, uh, the, the financial fitness of the bank. Uh, also, um, what is what is also interesting too. Um, Yeah, I think also um, when we talk about the, um, the 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 consumer consumer protection, uh, you know, recently, you know, particularly starting with Trump, one of the things that they've been different policymakers have been doing was removing consumer protection. Uh, they're doing it both on a federal and a state level. But it was an interesting strategy that they employed in terms of the the control of the, the control of the currency. Employed a particular strategy, which I thought was pretty fascinating, which shows you just how ingenious these people are. In terms of concealing, you know, the kind of uh, corruption, the kind of avarice, the kind of greed that commonly takes place. But anyway, what they did was that uh, they they changed the they changed the laws where now all banks are considered under the control of the control of the currency. As such, it becomes un, it falls under federal statute, which means that anytime states try to implement consumer protection laws. It means that those two consumer protection laws are invalid, which means they don't they no longer exist. So if you get ripped off and you try to go to consumer, try to uh, try to fight on consumer consumer protection grounds, uh, such laws no longer exist. And I thought that was fascinating. But again, it speaks to the kind of average and greed, uh, which is so much commonplace of the credit card industry. 
Thank you, Brother Aki. Brother Anthony, the, the credit card scam. Talk to us. Yes. Um, my takeaway from the documentary on uh, the, the secret history of credit cards was that, uh, the, uh, let's see, um, they, uh, there were usury laws in effect uh, throughout the U.S. up until the late 70s. And, uh, and uh, it started when South Dakota, because its economy was in decline, uh, decided to remove its usury laws. And uh, and they made a pitch to the to, to the banks in New York, primarily those in New York anyway, and uh, they started uh, shifting their credit card operations to South Dakota. And um, you know, and I thought that was interesting, which is why. Uh, a lot of credit, uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of banks have their credit card operations headquartered in South Dakota now. Delaware later on op- uh, adopted similar laws to uh, South Dakota, and um, you know I found that interesting, which is why. You know, uh, a lot of your uh, a lot of your credit card uh, statements and bills originate in either South Dakota or Delaware, and also the practice of doing away with usury laws allows uh, enable banks to charge pretty much whatever interest rates, interest rates the market would bear, so to speak which speaks to the greed not only of the credit card industry but of capitalism and of uh, finance capital. And, uh, you know, so, and it's it's a very difficult trap to get out of, especially uh, if you have limited resources and therefore have to resort to loans or credit in order in order to meet basic needs. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Talk to me, Sister Eleanor. Well, um, uh, again, in terms of the interest rates on these credit cards and uh, this... Uh, is really taking advantage of of people, and it's the poor that pay, the poor and working class that pay the highest interest rates. And uh, it's uh, really uh, having a dramatic impact uh, with the pandemic and the war in, in the Ukraine on the working class, on workers in the United States. Thank you, Sister North. Brother Moses, the man with the master plan. Talk to us, Brother Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Matt, this, these usury laws um, were abandoned, um, I think, um, 
was it South Dakota they said um was one of the first places uh and uh, the credit industry uh, gravitated towards them uh and because the, because of the money they could make and uh so you know we got credit cards at eighteen percent twenty five percent thirty some percent i mean they're making money um there is a segment of the population that pays off their credit card every month and so they don't pay the interest the interest and uh, uh but the masses of people are are paying on their credit and 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 uh, in debt and um you know credit is is um it's a good thing in in some sense uh if, but uh but you know it's a trap it's a trap and uh and the basic problem is you know income and jobs and uh and the spreading around equity of, of society et cetera and uh you know uh hopefully if there is a revolution, we will solve some of the, those inequities. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. Because our last thoughts for tonight is the issue of wealth as it relates to individual wealth. Now, the documentary talk about the richest individuals in Africa. And I went down there through the whole continent for showing you the value of how much each individual has. Now, when we look at the documentary, I'm looking at the most wealthiest person in that country. Also, I just knowing that, what else can you draw from that, Brother Haki? Brother Alfred, I'm not sure that's a great deal you can draw from that, from that documentary. Uh, and the fact that we understand, you know, that given, the, given you know, how, you know, how uh, colonialism works, we understand that uh, Western nations identify the most corrupt individuals in that society, pop them up, make it possible for them to excel, you know, financially to exert control over that state. So these 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 millionaires that they they, they talked about are in fact emblematic of, you know, of that kind of that kind of um, coercive uh, or corrosive relationship. So for me, I I didn't draw a lot of, you know, um, I didn't. I didn't glimpse a lot from that from that particular video because it only confirmed what I already understand in terms of the kind of corruption which is so uh so uh, so 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 um uh pervasive, you know, in African on African continent. Uh, you know, uh one of the things is that, you know, I, I think that um I, I will say that it's it's good that increasingly the young people on the continent are really beginning to realize, you know, that uh you know that those kind of um, financial schemes that take place in terms of, uh, 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 you know, a few benefited expense of the many uh, has to go. So it's good that young people on the continent are coming to the realization, you know, that aside from just these imp- these relationships with these imperial these imperial governments, of uh, the kind of wholesale corruption which undermines, you know, the the vitality of society has to go. So I'm very happy to see to read, uh, you know, about the fact that uh, so many young people. Throughout the continent, and standing up, beginning to say, you know, enough is enough, and advocating for real, you know, political change. So I'm gonna have to see that. But the kind of, uh, but these, but these guys pretty much epitomizes the kind of corruption in Africa, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, their access to wealth. They in turn do precisely what the colonial powers want them to do. That 
and namely is to provide resources at a very, very relatively cheap rate, uh, you know, as long as they're considered to be, as long as they're compensated individually. So I, I didn't learn a great deal from that video, Brother Africa, but I'll close with that. Thank you, Aki. Brother Anthony, what you took from the video? Unfortunately, I did not get a chance to look at this particular video, but uh, I, uh, let's see, uh, I, I do have, have this concern about, uh, you know, the richest uh, individuals uh, in Africa, and that is they perpetuate the exploitation of Africa and Africa's resources. And that's how and, and that's how they amass their wealth. And in particular, um the sister out of Angola who's Eduardo Dos Santos uh daughter uh if I recall she's the well, wealthiest uh in uh uh individual in Angola. She her wealth is uh worth some uh is into multi millions. And uh she li- she lives in Europe actually. And uh you know and uh you know and um you know, it shows the corruption that exists in Africa because uh, Eduardo dos Santos was uh, head of the MPLA uh, at one time, one of the uh, one of the liberation movements that was uh, fighting for liberation from Portugal. So uh, you know, and. Uh, you know, but it's a major problem for Pan Africanism is that uh, is that a lot of the organizations that led their countries to sham independence were not genuinely committed to socialism. Thank you, Brother Africa. Eleanor, talk to us. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said, Brother Africa. We're asking you to respond to the video that we're showing the richest men in Africa in different countries. Just what could you take from that? Well, uh, again, as I said, um, well, the biggest problem right now in in, in Africa is the uh, neo-colonialist leaders who are stuffing their pockets and that of their families and cronies leaving the masses uh, uh, disenfranchised. So uh, the most important thing is is, uh, this predatory lending is a crime. They used to call them loan shocks when you couldn't get a credit card and you'd go to someone in your community and have to pay 15, 20% interest. And one of the analysts mentioned paying more. Well, the reality is that's predatory lending. And that also becomes a legislative issue because it has to be uh, made illegal. And uh, it's also cultural in that you 
have to educate and train people as to why that is not uh, the most successful way to uh, develop uh, a community uh, or a nation. Thank, Thank you, Sister Noah. Brother Moses, what do you take from the documentary as they talk about the wealth of individual in each country? Mm-hmm. Brother Moses. Yeah, I think uh, I think Haki was on the money. Um, this, you know, it's about corruption and about uh, you know not looking out for the masses, uh, but only individualism uh, and family and uh, and personal wealth. And, um, you know, that's what the colonial powers, you know, can can uh, use in terms of neocolonialism and uh, the motivations of other people are not socialists. And, uh, you know, we find, you know, there's, there's wealth. Uh, there's wealth in America. There's wealth all over the world. Uh, 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 People are finding ways to make money, and uh, and it, it's not—they're not looking out for the interests of the masses of the people, and and uh, that's the bottom line. So, you know, we need laws and uh, a culture that that is revolutionary. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. To see us going to move when we come back, we have our final thoughts from our trader panelists and analysts of today.
finally, the Martha Wright prison phone justice bill has moved forward in the Senate uh, committee, uh, uh, Senate Commerce, Science, and uh, Transportation Committee. And this is really needed because what's happening is uh, the two major prison phone companies, uh, GTL and uh, uh, the other I can't think of, are charging $16 for a 15-minute uh, call. And it's just gouging the poor and the imprisoned. And that's the problem with this we see now with this accumulation of personal wealth. So much is taken from the workers. Right now, the big struggle is uh, things like this uh, bill to see that uh, there's productive legislation going forward like the Martha Wright Prison Bone Justice Act. And though these are reforms uh, to move towards revolution, we must sustain the people. And um, we we must celebrate those going going forward. Now these African American men, and I will call them Africans, uh, and who organized this union, their names need to stay in our hearts and minds because the fight has just begun, and Amazon has the money and the resources to fight this battle legally and to allege that there was uh, improprieties in the voting and other things that formed this union. But right now we see something, a a little light in in the cave. We see the Starbucks workers organizing and unionizing, and we see what these two brothers have done at Amazon. As, uh, Mr. Palmer said, he said he's an ordinary man who's been moved to do great things, and he really is, and his friend Christian Smalls. So with that, Brother Africa, wealth is needing to earn a living, and and wealth uh, are in severe conflict when, when the workers cannot sustain themselves when they cannot enjoy uh, basic things. And this current inflation rate right now is like the 80s, and the feds need to do something. I walked in the grocery store today by the Africa, and items that I purchased last week are 29 cents more per unit. This is this is outrageous. We we. I am a working class person, and I speak for the masses in this situation. For the cost of basic life necessities to go up palms us all. So we need to continue to focus on the working class. We need to um, celebrate uh, those who are organizing and make it culturally attractive. We need to... Uh, support legislation that will allow African families to stay together and be able to communicate, uh, such as the Martha Wright Prison Phone Justice Bill 
and uh, we need to also demand, demand, Brother Africa, that there be uh, uh, progressive, the two progressive voting bills be passed for the next election season because we saw what happened in Texas just several weeks ago with their voter suppression laws and acts. So many thousands of people were voted, but their votes won't be counted. So um, with that in mind, it's been a great show. Thank you for allowing me to participate and uh, have a a wonderful uh, Easter season and uh, to everyone. And uh, thank you once again for for an exciting, informative, uh, educational program. Good night. We thank you, Sister Ellen. We thank you, Sister Ellen, and good night to you. Brother Anthony, talk to me. Yes. Uh, my final thought, thought for tonight is uh, I... Uh, I thank you uh, and uh, the panelists for having me on the program tonight. And uh, my final thought is uh, keep uh, May 2022 open. We, uh, The All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, will be commemorating uh our uh African Liberation Day Palestine celebration by unleashing an offensive of sixty four years of African Liberation Day. Intensify the revolutionary struggle against capitalism and imperialism, Zionism and neocolonialism and for Pan Africanism. One Unified Socialist Africa. Uh, please check out our website, www.aprp-gc.org, for more information. And please keep your calendars open for these events. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Haki. You'll find the thoughts for tonight. Uh, two things. First, African Awareness Association. We do a, do a Black History Education Cultural Challenge to Cuba. This trip takes place July 23rd to July 31st, leaving from Cancun, Mexico. While in Cuba, we'll be visiting Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. Uh, for your application, please email us at African Awareness Association, one word, number two, at gmail.com. For additional information, you can contact us at area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435. More information in regards to the Cuba trip, you can visit us at www.aaa-cubatours.com, and we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand to see, you know, uh, uh, what makes Cuba such a great place to live, why Cuba is a beacon on the hill in terms of establishing uh, a precedent in terms of what society could be. 
so we think that when we, when we look at the, the problems for key to America, uh, one of the things that we're clear, you know, as things continue to deteriorate, we have to have some alternative in terms of how our society is going to be organized. And it's in Cuba by the key in terms of organizing society, which is not only humane, but also uh, very, very um, effective in terms of disseminating ed- education and, uh, and ingenuity uh, among the masses of the people. Uh, my final statement for tonight, Brother Africa, is, you know, uh, one of the things is that, you know, I think at some level we have to be very, very clear that when we talk about the, the, the dislocation of this economy, when we talk about the decline of the economy, we have to understand that clearly uh, when we talk about in terms of, uh, you know, powers that be having access uh, to, to levels of control, we're not simply talking about any particular political party, but we're talking about all parties. So the reality is that there's no discernible difference between Republicans and Democrats. Both execute power to the, to the extent that executing their power is going to be a, a benefit to themselves. And we have to be very clear on that point. So if we really think, think that we can appeal to the Democratic Party in terms of bringing about the kinds of redress or, or addressing the, problem, problem, the kind of problems that we're confronted with, then we'll be sadly, then we're sadly mistaken. The bottom line is that uh, there's not a fundamental difference between Nancy Pelosi and um, and um, uh, I forgot his name out of uh, South Carolina. Uh, there's no fundamental difference between the two. Uh, so we have to understand that clearly. Uh, the question is, you know, as, as things deteriorate, the question is, what is our response going to be? I had the opportunity to talk to a couple of sisters over the weekend, yesterday, as a matter of fact, and um, and the sisters were telling me that, uh, you know, they, 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 they don't worry much about what's going on in the world, that uh, the creators want to take care of it. And I, my response to them, I say, yes, but the people who reach the power who do these bad things don't believe in the creator. They believe in power and in and, and, and wealth. So on that, in, in that, under, that comp, under that rubric, uh, the question is, you know, uh, you know, since they're also part of creation, uh, one have to conclude that uh, uh, on some level what they do, uh, you know, it's not only expression of free will, but also that, uh, you know, that under the under under creation they have a right to espouse views which are somehow, you know, anti-humane. Uh, so 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 in terms of resolving these problems that we're confronted with, uh, can can religion really be the vehicle for which we use in terms of bringing about a redress to the problems that we're confronted with in society? And they their response well, well maybe not, but you know that's what they believe anyway, and that's fine. But the problem is that in addition to the spirituality, which is a very good thing in terms of fortifying people to, to, to be able to withstand, you know, all kind of inequities in the society, we have to have, equally important, we have to have some political understanding of the world in which we live in. Because one of the things that when, when this society deteriorates, uh, the problem is that there's going to be a search for convenient scapegoats. I think in the context of America, nobody is, should be surprised. When we talk about convenient scapegoating, we're talking about African masses of people in society. We shouldn't be surprised at that. That's not to negate in terms of any type of potential reprisals against Jewish community, gay community, uh, you know, or, or, or you know, so it's, or, or even women. So it's not to negate the, the potential in terms of devastation, you know, reaped upon those communities. But in terms of the history, it's very, very, very clear that across the board, whether you're straight, gay, uh, or whatever. That if your skin color is happens to be dark, then you become a convenient scapegoat for um, the, for the problems that exist in society. So we have to figure we 
legitimately have to figure out some way uh, to confront these realities and decide what are we going to do in terms of our longevity in terms of going forward. Because if we think somehow that things are going to be easy, or if we think that, in fact, that we're going to vote in people who are going to serve the interests of humanity, then we don't understand the political process, nor do we understand the political machine. We don't understand, we don't understand how things operate in the society. Uh, the people who are in positions of power, the billionaires who, who control, the, control the country behind the scenes, they understand intimately how the system works. Uh, they have the capital. They have the expertise. Uh, they have the, the numbers in terms of bringing about, you know, all kind of destructiveness. The question is, what are we going to do to rebuff or, or, to, or, or repel that kind, of, that kind of violence that's directed toward the African community? Think about it. We have to think long and hard in terms of what we're going to do. And as always, Brother Africa, you know, um, you know, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, I think is key in terms of our longevity society, in terms of understanding fundamentally the challenges before us. Because without understanding those challenges, the bottom line is that the situation for us becomes that much more bleak. Um, so having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you the same, Brother Haki. You have been listening to Africa on the Moon. And again, we'd like to remind you as well that we will be going on a trip with the African Women's Association to Cuba. So if you're interested, please contact the African Women's Association to gmail.com. Until next time, every Sunday, same hour, we will continue to speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. And we just want to remind you that we too are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let's get organized and change our reality. This has been Africa on the Move as your host, Brother Africa. We'll see you next week. Spread the word. From North Carolina, we are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham. Um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement, too. We are with UE 150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms. 
uh, proliferation in North Carolina and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down Like Water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the hearts and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well, there's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water, clean water safe for all. Clean water, clean water safe for all. Mighty God is a living man. You can fool some people 
like blood clots, buck shots They fly through the truck spots, robots Can't give a damn who the fuck shot Clean cop, clean cop, fucking with that dirty cop Don't act like your ass never heard of that Clean cop, clean cop, rolling with that lean cop Still trying to act proud as a peacock You know that mean cop might need a detox Motherfucker tried to blow me out my Reeboks But I swing like Jack in a beanstalk Chop him down when these bitches try to lock me down Hit the ground, hit the turf, walk the earth Kill, kidnap your mind, patty hurts Bust a verse that'll make your ass hit reverse Kill the curse that was placed on the universe West Coast warlord, black it in the black night Fuck a black and white when they ain't acting right Good cop, good cop, feeling natural report Bad cop, asking you to distort Bad cop, asking you to lie in court Send another young brother up north Send another young sister off course Why these motherfuckers chill on the golf course Black police showing out for the white cop White police showing out for the white cop Black police showing out for the white cop White police showing out for the black cop Lazy cop Fucking with that crazy cop Always bragging about the new case they got Do or die cop with that suicide cop Tell the truth cop with that true lie cop Are you fucking high cop? Don't even try cop Ain't no motherfucking drugs up in my spot All you find in my closet is a high top And my motherfucking ticket to the skybox Hold up nigga, I'm a rider Use a roller, get the controller Make me mad, that's when I get swole up The incredible hocus bipolar Come out the cup Knock off the rust Throw my hands up so You still wanna bust The Trojan horse Is full of excessive force When they try to get aggressive Niggas off the court Black police showing out For the white cop White police showing out For the black cop Black police showing out For the white cop White police showing out For the black cop Good cop, good cop Where is your dignity? Where's your empathy? Where is your sympathy? Bad cop Where's your humanity? Good cop Is that just a fantasy? Motherfuck the blue coat Fuck the po-po Acting like Devo Already know Cracker let the brick go Black lives matter It's not shit chatter Cause all they wanna do Is scatter brain matter A mind is a terrible thing to waste A nine is terrible
Look how you up there. Yeah. Look yeah. yeah. how you up there. Yeah. Yeah.
oppression, cause inflation, then we cause oppression, cause confusion, cause corruption, cause inflation, cause oppression, cause confusion, cause inflation, cause oppression, 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 inflation, corruption, oppression. Plain speaking. And for the sake of Africa, let us speak plainly. As I see, our greatest danger stems from disunity and the inability to see that the realization of our hopes and aspirations, the realization of our objective of total African independence and of our future progress and prosperity is inextricably bound up with the necessity to unify our policy and actions in connection with the continued struggle for independence and the greater tax of economic and social construction beyond it. We need unity within the ranks of independent states. We need unity within the ranks of the freedom fighters still struggling to achieve independence. And we need unity between the already independent states and the freedom fighters. I do not think that too much stress can ever be laid upon this need for unity. It is our unity that imperialist agencies are trying every means to obstruct and sever. It is the idea of African unity that they fear most. It seems only intelligent, therefore, for us to close our ranks and compact our forces. If we independent states were unified in a political and economic union, having a common foreign and defense policy, controlling a unified military command, you should be in a much stronger position to assess the territory still struggling for independence. An overall economic plan covering an Africa united on a continental basis must increase our total industrial economic power. Hence, our combined strength, reinforced by a common purpose, would add enormously to the united front we, we could turn against the enemy. 
so long as we remain disunited, so long as we remain balkanized, whether regionally or in separate national units, we shall be at the mess of imperialism and colonialism. We must therefore face the issue of African unity now. For only unity will make the artificial boundaries and regional demarcations imposed by colonialism obsolete and superfluous. African unity will thus provide an effective remedy for border disputes and international troubles. In a united Africa, there could be no frontier claims between Ethiopia and Somalia, or between Zanzibar and Kenya, Guinea or Liberia, or between Ghana, Togoland and the Ivory Coast. Because because we would regard ourselves as one great continental family of nations. Among the new states in Africa are some which, through fragmentation, have been left so weak economically that they are unable to stand on their own feet. This is the result of a deliberate policy of the withdrawing colonial powers who have created in Africa several small, feeble, unstable, and unbearable states in the hope of ensuring their continued dependence upon the former colonial power for economic and technical aid. Indeed, the intention goes further than that and is more insidious. It is to produce a political atmosphere as dangerous to the safety and progress of African independence as that which followed the establishment of the many friable nations which were created in Eastern Europe by the Congress of Vienna in 1814 to 1815. The underlying design is to induce national jealousies and rivalries such as nourish the outbreak of the First World War. At best, it is hoped that such a policy may lead to open conflict. At worst, it must present tough obstacles to the movement for total African freedom and African unity. This is the inner plan of new colonialism, the latest instrument of imperialism. While relinquishing political rule, it contrives to control the foreign and internal policy of the state. It still dominates through the pastoral of material aid. In effect, only the outward forms have changed, but the substance of colonialism remains just the same. <laughs> Foreign imports are still protected, local development is clamped down, social progress is retarded, and fiscal policy is controlled from the metropolitan capital. The impact of these semi-independent states on the liberation of Africa is calamitous. Bound up as they are with the policies of their sponsors, they are unable to take a determined independent line on issues involving the colonialists and the still enslaved people of this continent. Some of the leaders, it must be confessed, 
do not see the struggle of their brother Africans as part of their own struggle. Even if they did, they would not be free to express their solidarity. This rift are consciously created by the imperials between Africans, where they can sit back and watch with sly satisfaction, as well as contempt for those who fail to see how they are being used against Africa's best interests. Regrettably, regrettably, those states include some who were among the freedom fighters of yesterday and who haven't won their independence are willing to drop it for some token aid and thereby deny to those still struggling for freedom even their moral support. Here is a phenomenon against which all African freedom fighters must be on their guard and resist with the utmost. Even though I appreciate the difficulties facing us, I must admit I find it strange to watch some of us returning willingly to the colonialist fold. This time, they don't even have the excuse of being forced to subject themselves to foreign domination. It makes one wonder why so much effort it will be solved. There's a difference between revolution and reform. Big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformists, black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day -day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. 
Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Toure, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation and you see the foundation is rotten and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world, America notwithstanding. It must come and will come. To
Jack Word come to pass. Marcus Jack Word come to pass. Can't get no food to eat. Can't get no money to spend. Shall be hanged with many tribes. 